Hey. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys today. Uh, it's awesome to feel like spring is finally here, right? The weather's ice. How many of you guys got a sunburn yesterday? Anybody get a sunburn? A couple. A couple hands went up. I know it's the first sunburn is always the worst. Um, uh, but hey, I'm going to just jump, kind of jump right into it and start off by telling you a story. Um, and I want to tell you a story about a guy named Henry, Henry Nowen. Some of you may have heard of him before or may not have heard of him before. But Henry, Henry was born in the 1930s in Netherlands. And as a young, young man, he lived in Europe during World War II and, and, and had that experience of living during that time. But, but as, a young, as a young adult, he felt called uh, to being a, becoming a priest. He felt called into the priesthood. And so he, he went into that. But, but he did lots of things in his life. He was, he, was, um, he was a priest, obviously, as I just said. He was a theologian. He was an author. He was um, a scholar. And uh, he, he did some amazing things. He worked, uh, he was very involved with different social justice things. He was, um, he marched uh, in the march from Selma to Montgomery with Martin Luther King Jr. He lived for a stint of his time in, with the poorest of the poor in Peru. But he also was a professor, and he was not only a professor at just one university, he was a professor at three different universities. He was a professor at Notre Dame, and then Yale, and then Harvard. So if one of those isn't impressive enough, you know, three of them is a pretty big deal. He was an author, like I said, he wrote a total of 39 books. That's a lot. That's, I don't know if I've ever even read 39 books. I, he wrote... 39 books on Christian spirituality. He was popular among all of his students. He was known around the world. And yet, Henry struggled in his later in his life with depression. He struggled with depression. He struggled with purpose in his life. And even, uh, he even said this at one point. You can put up that quote. He said, after 25 years of priesthood, I found, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. And I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place and that the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for a spiritual death. He felt depressed. He felt dead inside. And it, it was at this point in his life that Nowen decided to make a radical change, a radical change. He resigned from Harvard. And he eventually moved to a community in Canada where he lived with um, people that, um, and he took care of people with severe disabilities. And in fact, he was given the task, he took on the task of caring for one young man named Adam um, who was unable to move on his own and unable to communicate. And his job, Nowen's job every day was to just simply help him, help Adam get ready every day. And it was in, and, and you can go ahead and put up the picture of the two of them here. So there, there's Henry and Adam. And, and um, Henry actually wrote a book. One of his very last books before he passed away was called Adam, God's Beloved. And in that book, he talks about how Adam was his, his friend, his guide, and his teacher. And, and what, what Henry discovered at the end of his life was he found life in serving just one human being. 
and simply serving one human being, doing somewhat mundane or trivial tasks, and, and that's where he, that, gave, that transformed his life and his faith to a deeper understanding, more than any of his big accomplishments or places he had gone or things he had done in life. And essentially, what he discovered was that the most meaningful role in life was to be that of a servant, to be that of a servant, serving and caring for just this one other human being. And if I asked you to you know, describe you know, different roles or your identity or who, how would you describe yourself, you might talk about being a father or a mother. You might be, talk about being a husband or wife, a son or daughter. You might talk about your job, your career. You know, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a dentist, you know, I'm a barista, whatever it is that you do for a living. You might talk about different identities. But I wonder how many of us would say and call ourselves a servant. I don't think that would even like pop into the top 100 of my mind naturally of categories that I would think of. And yet, the earliest Christian leaders uh, all saw themselves this way. Uh, if you look at the New Testament, after the Gospels, there's all these different writings. And all the known writers after the Gospels, um, Peter, John, Paul, um, James, and Jude, they all saw themselves as servants. In fact, in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, Paul talks, and he could have described himself as a church planner extraordinaire. But no, he called himself, in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, he called himself a servant of Jesus Christ. John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, could have described himself as Jesus' favorite. He was known to have this really intimate relationship with Jesus, but in Revelation 1.1, he called him God, himself God's servant. Peter, who you may or may not know was kind of the leader of the disciples, he could have called himself the right-hand man or, or you know, second-in-command or something like that, but he too, he too in 2 Peter 1.1, called himself and described himself a servant of Jesus Christ. James and Jude, who were literally the half-brothers of Jesus, could have played the family card. They could have, but they didn't. In their writings, they both called themselves servants of Jesus, not brothers of Jesus. And I don't think that's coincident at all that these fab five early, early church leaders saw themselves primarily as servants as servants because that's exactly how Jesus saw himself. That's exactly how Jesus saw himself. The word that these five, uh, these five leaders used in the Greek is this word doulios, and it literally means one who sells himself or herself into slavery to another. One who willingly, not forced, willingly chooses slavery to another person. One who gives himself up for the will of another. One who, who serves without regard to their own interests. And that's exactly what these, these men were doing. They, they considered themselves as volunteer slaves of Jesus. And in this series that we've been doing leading up to Easter, we've, been, we've called it Jesus Is. And we've been looking at different, different characteristics of who Jesus is, trying to rediscover and refocus our lives on, well, who did Jesus say he was? What was Jesus really about? And we've talked about how Jesus was fully God. He's fully God, and we talked about that the first week, and then we talked about how Jesus is fully man, which is a mystery to me, how he can be both fully God and fully man, but, but he makes it very clear that that is true, and, and we talked about Jesus is a healer and, and the greatest teacher, but the greatest healer and the greatest teacher, and today we're going to talk about how Jesus is a servant, how Jesus identified 
himself as a servant. In Mark um, 10, 45, this is what Jesus said about himself. He said, for even the son of man, that's another title he gave himself, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself saw himself filling the role of the suffering servant that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah talked about. And he came to serve, to set aside his own interests and needs and and, and make the ultimate act of service by dying on the cross. By dying on the cross for our sins, for the sins of humanity, and displaying that ultimate act of service. And eventually, although it would take them a while to come to that same conclusion, eventually, the early church leaders realized that's what life was all about too. The life is all about servanthood. And, and the same is true for anyone who would call themselves a Christian. That if you call yourself a Christian, if I call myself a Christian, then we are basically putting on that same team uniform. We are putting on that team uniform, those, those school colors, and we are, we are joining ourselves to a life of servanthood as well. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll kind of dig even a little bit deeper into it. But Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would continue to be with us, Lord. And, and to be honest, to be told that we're supposed to be servants or slaves, well, that, that really goes against our natural inclinations. But would you teach us today what it looks like to be a servant for you? Would you show us how you modeled servanthood? And, and even though it seems counterintuitive and odd, would you show us that there's actually freedom found in servanthood to you? That there's life found in being a slave of yours, Jesus? We pray that in your name. Amen. So what, is, what, did, what did being a servant mean to Jesus? What did that actually look like? Uh, what does it look like uh, to sign up for that? Because to be honest, Andrew, your sales pitch so far stinks. Like, I don't know that I want to do that. Well, I want to look at a few examples uh, and, and perspectives of that, but I want to look at one main story, one main story of Jesus where he displays this amazing servanthood. Um, just prior to Jesus dying on the cross, uh, there's this story in all four Gospels that is referred to as the Last Supper. And they don't know it's going to be their last, or Jesus' last supper with them yet, but, but it, it is. And in this story, we see that Jesus demonstrates what it's like to his followers to be a servant. And in Luke's account of the Last Supper, Luke tells us that the disciples, during this meal that they're having, break out in this argument, this debate about which one of them is the best. Which one of them is, you know, a little, you know, a little bit, done a little bit more, accomplished a little bit more, you know, puffing up chest, arguing, kind of boasting about all their accomplishments. And it's in that space that Jesus does something really radical. The one who should be the greatest and acknowledged as the greatest does one of the most humbling things, one of the most servant things. And we read in, in John's gospel, in chapter 13, uh, we read this part of the story. And if you want to follow along on the screens, or if you have a Bible, we're going to look in, in, in John here, chapter 13. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We'll stop right there. So some of you, I know, may be familiar with this story, um, but if you're not, or, or just to even give some context into this story, um, this idea of washing of feet seems a little bit odd to us maybe, but this was a very normal practice in their culture. Now, if you came up to me after the service and offered to wash my feet, I would probably take a few steps back. Like, that's a little odd, right? I don't like people touching my feet. They're ticklish. I don't want, I don't want that. And they're already clean. They've been sitting in these. I took a shower this morning. They've been sitting in these socks since I got up. They're fine. Don't come near me. Uh, but, uh, but in their culture, this was a common practice, and it was necessary. It was necessary. As the main form of transportation was walking, and often walking on dirty, dusty, even animal-dropping-covered roads, and wearing sandals that, you know, with spaces in between, that by the end of the day, your feet were, you know, just disgusting. And so even like it's, our, in a, it's common in our culture that if you go to somebody's home, maybe for a meal, you invited in as a guest, that you would go in, that you oftentimes you offer to take off your shoes, right? Or you at least see, do they have their shoes on? Am I supposed to take my shoes off? You know, because you don't want to attract dirt in. But, it, but in this culture, that was super necessary. Super necessary. But, but one thing that was also common practice was that if you were invited to somebody's home for a meal, if you were a guest as an act of hospitality, there would, there would typically be a servant there that as soon as you came, who would offer to wash your feet? That was part of, of their culture. And what's interesting about this story is that it, it, it seems clear that there was no servant present. There was no servant mentioned in the story. And it says that while the meal was already in progress, that Jesus got up, he took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began to wash each and every disciple's feet. Now, according to Jewish custom, if there was no servant present to wash their feet, then whoever the first guest to arrive would have taken on that job. The first guest to arrive would have washed the feet of the guests coming and future guests coming. And yet it seems like whether they were squabbling or fighting when they showed up, talking about how great they were, none of the disciples seemed to notice that nobody had done that yet or offered to do that. So after the meal starts, the greatest servant of all, Jesus, saw a teachable moment that he could teach his disciples what true greatness was all about. Kent Hughes, a, a Bible scholar, in talking about this passage and uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, he makes this comment. You can put this up. They were willing to fight for the throne, but no one wanted the towel. Jesus' act was a powerful lesson in servanthood, and they were missing the point. Jesus was inviting his disciples to be a people of the towel, and that's what he's still doing today. Jesus is still inviting us to be the people of the towel, to willingly choose servanthood to serve him and to serve others. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, the first, the first point in your notes is, is that I want to point out is that Jesus responded to meet the immediate need right then and there. And that's the first point in your notes, that serving like Jesus is often immediate. Serving like Jesus is often immediate. Jesus, 
He didn't say or think to himself, well, nobody seemed to have noticed that we skipped the feet washing thing. But you know what? They're so busy in their conversation. I'll just make a note, and we'll talk about it next week's staff meeting. You know, We'll get to it next week or next month. I'll, I'll go over it. No, he stops in the middle of the meal, which would have been disruptive, which would have been you know, kind, of, kind of odd. He immediately stops in the middle of the meal, kneels down, and washes their feet. All throughout his ministry, Jesus did this. He, not washing feet, but he would stop what he was doing, where he was going, and meet the immediate need that was right in front of him. You know, Jesus, if someone was walking by Jesus um, and, and shouted out his name, or like if he, Jesus, sorry, Jesus was walking by a blind person and they shouted out his name, or if, if somebody came running up to him and said, my daughter's sick, I need, you to, I need you to help her, my daughter's sick. You know, Jesus didn't tell them, you know, um, hey, why don't you call my office and my assistant Peter, he'll, he'll set you up in a couple weeks. We'll set an appointment. No, he didn't do that. He would stop where he was going or what he was doing and he would meet that person. He would heal that person. In the Bible, there's a story of a lame man's friends literally picking apart a roof and lowering him down to this house that Jesus is in. Jesus is given a talk, a sermon, and he literally lay him down in front of him. And uh, Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm a little busy right now giving a sermon. You know, why don't you, why don't you give, give me a call? We'll get, I'll get you on the schedule for April, May, uh, sometime in June. We'll do a prayer meeting and pray for you. No, he didn't do that. He forgave the man of his sins and he healed him right then and there. Jesus was willing to be interrupted and, and fulfill immediate opportunities, immediate needs of healing people and meeting people, whatever God was leading him to do. And, and, and listen, there were times where Jesus, he did go off and rest. He didn't you know, do everything the crowd asked him. There were times where he took a break. And, and we're not called uh, to meet every single person's need all the time either. That's not sustainable. But, but I don't know for you, but for me, I know in my schedule, in my life, most of the time, I have so little margin in the pages of my life that I don't ever, hardly ever stop to meet the immediate needs of other people. And yet, and yet that's what God is calling us to do. God is saying, you know, are you willing to serve this person right now? Are you willing to love this person and care for this person right now? And, and, and we're called to ask God that and to be able to respond to that. But I don't know about you, but in my very limited <laughs> human brain, I can always come up with excuses why it's too inconvenient or not the right time or whatever. And there are times where that's true. There are times where that's true. There are times where you have important things to do. There are, there are seasons of life where you might be struggling with chronic illness or be mourning the loss of a loved one where you may not be able to serve people to the capacity that you, would, you know you would like to. There are legitimate reasons for that. But, but if you and I were to wait until everything in our lives was perfectly aligned then I wonder if we would ever serve God at all. I wonder if we would ever find the time to serve God or serve others. What if, what if God doesn't need us? What if he doesn't need us to have an abundance of time or energy or money to serve? But what if, rather, he can simply use whatever we have to give in that moment? You know, what if, what if he could take a little kid's lunch and in the hands of Jesus, he could feed 5,000 people with that. What if he could do that? 
Not only that, I think sometimes we, we think that serving, serving only counts when it's in some sort of structured, you know, service project organized group. That that, that we have to be connected in some official capacity. And, and, and I know many of you, I know many of you are connected in amazing ways like that. You're very generous with your time and energy and different, serving on different local boards, um, or maybe you coach your kid's soccer team or sports team you know, on Saturday afternoons. And those are super amazing ways to serve, and we need to do those. But it's also critical that we're aware that God, God is not calling us to serve in little pockets of time here or there. He's, he's calling servanthood to be a way of our life, doing life. That serving isn't something we get to clock in and clock out of. It's not something we get to put in our calendar and just say, hey, I'm only going to serve in this capacity and this hour a week. We're called to serve all the time. Jesus didn't clock in and clock out. When he, when he sent his disciples out to go, to go meet people, he didn't give them a quota he didn't say, go do it for this long or heal this many people. When you've healed two blind people and you've prayed for one demon-possessed person, then you can come back. No, he didn't do that. He said, go and just meet the needs that God puts in front of you. When I was um, a little bit younger, when I was in college, I had two roommates. And one Sunday morning, we were on our way to church. And uh, we drove two separate cars, and I drove my car, and my one roommate rode with me, and then our, our other roommate had to go somewhere after church, so he drove separate and was on and ahead of us. And we were, we were driving down 315, and you know, if you drive down 315, there's some areas that are a little narrow, and there's like walls, you know, like right outside, not a lot of bri- you know, berm or whatever, not a lot of space. And we were driving along one of these narrow spots, and I saw this car barely pulled off the side of the road. And you could see cars flying by it. And three guys were outside this car, like just waving, just waving at every car going by, trying to get a car to stop. And car after car, zoom, 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 flying right by, which makes total sense. I mean, it was a really dangerous spot to stop. And, um, and I see my roommate who was driving separate in front of me go flying on by. And as I went by, and I, I just, that, that instant, like made eye contact with one one of the guys waving. I don't know. I mean, I know what it was. It was God. But but I just instinctually slammed on my brakes, which wasn't smart. Probably <laughs> lucky I didn't get hit in the rear ended. But I uh, I slammed on my brakes and I pulled over. And my my roommate who's sitting next to me was like, "What are you doing? Like this is dangerous." Like and and I said, "I don't know. I just feel like we should help them." So. We get out of the car, and we're talking to them, and these three guys are like, they're like, thank you so much for stopping. We've been waving for like a half hour to try to get somebody to stop. Nobody's stopping. Thank you so much for stopping. And the one guy seemed like he knew a lot about cars. He said, I know exactly what's wrong with it. Can you just give us a ride to like the auto parts store, like just down the road? Like that would, if you could give us a ride, I could get the part, and I could fix it right here and there. And I looked at my roommate, and I said, yeah, sure, you can get in. And, I, and he looked at me like, I was crazy. Like, like, these are three strangers. What if they rob us? And I thought, well, they've seen my car. It's pretty beat up. They know we don't have any money. So they climb in the back. And so, there's, so I had an old Toyota Camry, old beat up Toyota Camry. So here's five, five grown dudes crammed in this car. It felt like a clown car. And as I'm driving them to uh, this auto parts store, I thought to myself, man, this car is packed. But somewhere in this car is Jesus. He might be in the trunk, he might be in the glove box, but he's in here somewhere. He's in here, because this is the kind of thing that Jesus would do. 
And you know, we had great, it was a great, it was like easy conversation. Hey, you know, so you guys live around here. Where were you, what were you on your way to? And they asked us, where were we on our way to? Oh, we were on our way to church. Oh, and then we got a chance to talk about our faith. And it was cool and it was easy fruit, you know, easy low hanging fruit to just, but um, he, uh, but it was this really great moment. And they were just so, so thankful. So, so thankful that, uh, that we had stopped to serve them. And, and by the time we drove, drove them to the store, they got the part, waited there, drove them back. We, we ended up going to church. And we showed up to church with just a couple minutes left, a couple minutes left. And my, my other roommate, who had gone on ahead, is like, look, it's like, where have you guys been? You've missed all of church. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I miss church. I think we were right with Jesus and right where he would have called us to be in that moment. Mm. I find that oftentimes serving happens best when we recognize that God is interrupting our lives to meet the immediate need of somebody else and he's just asking us to respond in obedience in whatever way we can or whatever way he's provided. Jesus taught his disciples that being a servant at times would involve them responding to something immediate, but he also taught them that serving was all-inclusive, that serving was all-inclusive, and that's the next point in your notes, that serving like Jesus is all-inclusive. It's for everyone, and we say this phrase all the time, that everyone gets to play, and that's true. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to serve, and I love this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. who said, it's really basic, but it's really profound at the same time. He says this, anyone can be great because anyone can serve. Anyone can be great because anyone can serve. All are included. All the disciples at the Last Supper who were arguing about who was the greatest, and, and, and Jesus showed them that the greatest one of them would be the one who would be their servant, who would serve the others. And I have a feeling... This isn't in the Bible, but I have a feeling that the disciples weren't oblivious to the fact that nobody had washed their feet yet. Since it was such a common practice and a normal thing to have done, it makes me wonder, I wonder if Peter thought, hmm, maybe somebody, maybe I should go wash everybody's feet and then think to himself, nah, I'm kind of like the leader. Somebody else can do that. Or I wonder if John Jesus' favorite, youngest, if he thought, hmm, I wonder if somebody should do this, wash each other's feet, but nah, I don't want to lose my spot next to Jesus. You know, I want to be hanging out with him. I don't want to do that. But Jesus didn't believe that anyone was above serving. He didn't believe anyone was above serving. Peter didn't get a pass. John didn't get a pass. Jesus was looking at all of them, and he was wondering, which one of you are going to pick up the towel? Which one of you are going to do it? And none of them did, so he did. He did Jesus didn't specify requirements to serving. He didn't say, hey, this is a job for the newest disciple, the rookie, or this is a job for the veteran disciple who's been around the longest. Jesus was calling all of them to become servants. And the same is true for you and I. The same is true for us. You don't have a... You don't have to have a doctorate in serving. You don't have to take an equip class on serving. Maybe we should have one. I don't know, but we don't have one of those. You don't have to be a certain race or age. You don't, it doesn't matter what sins you've committed or what sins you haven't committed. You can be young and serve. You can be old and serve. You can be young and serve. If you're a young person here, 
If you're a young person here, if you're in high school, in college, you can serve. You don't have to wait until you've got some, you know, you've grown up, you're out of the house. You can do it right now. You can serve the, 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 your peers, your classmates, the, your clubs and athletics and things that you're in. You can ask your parents to give you a ride and, and to come to the food pantry every other Monday night and serve. I don't know a parent who would tell their kid, no way, I'm not taking you to serve the poor or I won't help you at least find a ride if I can't drive you. And if you're, if you're old, you can serve. If you're, if you're retirement or near retirement, you can serve. And I, I'm going to walk really lightly on this next point, <laughs> as I know I'm a lot younger than that. So I'm going to wa- walk very gingerly on thin ice. But, but I know that when I'm, I'm much you know, older and much wiser, by the way. <laughs> See, I know I might be young. I'm just not stupid. Uh, when I'm much wiser, as some of you, I hope that some young pastor will remind me that as long as I have a pulse, I am called to serve. As long as I have time on this planet, I am called to serve. That you have something to give. You have something to contribute. You can retire from the military service. You can even retire from the postal service. But you cannot retire from God's service. You can't retire from serving God. Well, there will never be a time when that happens. You know, in the Old Testament, Moses and Aaron were 80 and 83 years old when God called them to serve the Hebrew people and go speak to Pharaoh. In the New Testament, Anna uh, was a prophet. She was at least 84 years old. She was serving God and praying and fasting, waiting to meet Jesus in the temple. And, And if you'd say, well, I still got them beat, Andrew. Well, I'll just remind you that Noah was 600 years old (laughs) when the flood waters started to come. So that means I think none of us get a pass. And I I love when I hear stories of people who, who maybe they're in the hospital, maybe they just have a few days left, a few days left, and yet they're spending their time sharing their faith, offering to pray for their nurses, doctors, encouraging their family members. They are serving. They are serving in the little time they have left. They're spending their last days loving and serving. Anyone can serve. So parents, parents, serve your kids. Like, serve your kids even when they're driving you crazy. (laughs) Even when you're exhausted at night, give them your best. Because they deserve it. Because they're God's kids. And, and kids, serve your parents. When you can tell your parents have had a rough day, offer to help out around the house with to- chores or dinner, you know, take things off their plate. Or if you're, if you're a kid and, you, and your parents, or if you're a grown-up but your parents are older, your very elderly parents, love your parents, even if they weren't that great parents. Serve them. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, if it's late at night and your wife is pregnant and she very nicely asks you to run to Dairy Queen, which is over 15 minutes away, to get you a, uh, some sort of a treat, and uh, everything in you wants to say, wants to remind her that 15 seconds away, there's mint chocolate chip ice cream in the freezer, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I may or may not know that from experience. <laughs> um, but uh, grab your keys and serve her. You know, wives, wives serve your husbands. If your husband works a lot and you know that they don't, they don't have a lot of time to, to invest in friendships, 
You know, and even though you may be home with the kids a lot, or every once in a while, give them a chunk of time where they can go and maybe hang out and hang out with some guys from the church and make some friendships in a men's small group on a Saturday morning or something. Create some space for that. Serve them in that way. Bosses. Bosses, serve your employees. Look for ways to serve your employees so that you would actually want to work for you. So that you would actually want to, to work at your company or in the area that you manage. And employees, serve your bosses. Go, go the extra mile to do a really great job and not just collect a paycheck. Serve your neighbors. If you, you, know, if you have a neighbor who's a single mom, maybe offer to bring her kids home from practice or offer to organize a mowing schedule among other people in the neighborhood for her. Last weekend, if you were here after, or at our services, we, we have an, a great opportunity for everyone to sign up to be a weekend volunteer. We need lots of volunteers throughout the weekend to help make this thing run. We're always looking for people to be greeters or help make coffee or different things. And if, if you weren't here last weekend and you would like to help with that, you can just write on the Connect card, put your name and your phone number and write that you want to serve it, you know, as a weekend volunteer. And Sonia will contact you. She works here in the office and find a way to help you just even once a month for a few minutes, once a month to, to help serve in whatever capacity you can. Next weekend, just to let you know ahead of time, next weekend we're going to be recruiting summer teachers for our children's ministry. Every year, we, we let our regular teachers who teach in our kids' ministry right now over there take the summer off to give them a little bit of a break. And we, we need some people like you to just say, I can do that a few weeks of the summer. I can hang out with some kids and, and, uh, and help with that in, in some capacity. I can do that. As Christians, I think we like to say things like, well, serving really isn't my spiritual gift. So you might want to ask somebody else. But you know, if, if my kid came up to me and said, hey, dad, would you teach me how to ride a bike? Would you teach me how to do that? I'm not going to look at my kid and say, you know what, son, daughter? Teaching isn't really my spiritual gift. So good luck figuring it out on your own. Right? No, I'm not going to do that, right? You know, or if, if my wife's had a hard day at work, and she, she needs some encouragement. She needs to just be told she's doing a good job. And she's looking for some affirmation. And I just kind of look at her and say, well, you know what, honey? Encouragement isn't really my spiritual gift. Just toughen up. You know, no, no, that's not true. Nobody would do those things. You know, we're all called to teach in some capacity at times. We're all called to encourage at some capacity of times. And we're all called to serve in some capacity of time, even if it isn't our spiritual gift. Nobody gets a pass in that. Nobody gets a pass. But Jesus is calling all of us to serve like he did, to serve in the immediate needs and, and, and to serve in the ways that he puts in front of us. But Jesus is also calling us to serve because he knows it's good for us and he knows it's life-giving. And that's the third and final point in your notes, that serving like Jesus is life-giving. It's life-giving because Jesus served us by giving his life. I think that I know the disciples eventually figured this out. They eventually figured this out when they realized that Jesus had done the ultimate act of service for them, not by washing their feet, but by dying on the cross for them by dying on the cross for them, of giving up his own life so that they might have life. 
Jesus said this in Matthew 16. He said this, whoever wants to be my disciple, which basically means whoever wants to be a Christian. So if you want to be a Christian, if you're a Christian, this, we need to read it like that. Whoever wants to be a Christian must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You want to find real life? You want to have a meaningful life? Jesus says that you have to be willing to give it up. You have to be willing to lose it in serving him and serving others. And that's what Jesus' friends didn't understand in the Last Supper. They didn't understand at the Last Supper. But later, I think they clearly figured out, Peter, John, James, uh, they all figured this out. All these guys in their New Testament writings when they identified primarily as being servants. They committed the whole rest of their lives to serving God, serving the ultimate cause because they had found life in it. They found life in following the footsteps of Jesus. And just like the disciples, Henry Nouwen, like we talked about at the beginning, Henry Nouwen rediscovered life in serving simply just one human being. One human being. And when the world would have looked at him and said, you got a pretty good life. You're well known, you're well respected, you've had a great career at Harvard, Yale, and Notre Dame. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And yet, it, it, the, at the end of his life, in serving just his one friend, Adam, Henry found meaning. He found joy. He found purpose again. Have you ever, have you ever met somebody like that? Somebody who just exudes joy and purpose because they just love serving God? They just love serving uh, uh, other people. I um, I remember hearing a story once of a of a contractor, a home builder, uh, having kind of a frustrating week. Things were behind schedule. Um, he was just getting a lot of things that happened that day, and he just kind of had hit his breaking point. And they were on the job site, and some somebody complained about the portable restroom on the job site. So he went to look at, it, and it was just filthy, and he had just had enough. So he, he just called up the, comp, the you know, portable restroom company, just called him up and said, you got to send somebody out here right now. This is ridiculous. He just let him have it. He let him have it. And about, about an hour later, he hears this truck coming barreling down the road. And this truck has got its windows down, and it's loud, heavy metal music just blaring. And, uh, and, and, the, and it's, the, it's this, um, you know, Porgeon company. And, and out jumps this guy. And this guy is massive, just massive, and tattoos everywhere, you know, like me, look just like me. And, um, and he jumps out, and he's just biggest smile on his face, just happy to be alive. What's the problem? How can I help? Da, 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 da. And the guy's, well, you come look at this. This is ridiculous. This is terrible. I just can't believe it. Da, da, da. Just kind of, you know, putting all this on this one guy who really wasn't his fault. And, and he said, well, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And the contractor went back to work. And, but he kept watching this guy working. He kept walking, watching him, you know, the care, the uh, time, the energy. The guy spent an hour cleaning one portable toilet, going in and out and just whistling and singing and happy as a, happy as a clam. And, and, he, uh, and the guy, the contractor, is just so impressed. So afterwards, he goes up to him. He says, I'm just so impressed. I'm so impressed by your work ethic. I'm so impressed by you. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for doing such a great job. And the guy, the guy looked at him. He said, well, you're welcome. But I didn't do it for you. I did it for the big guy. 
and he hopped in his truck, and he turned on his music, and he, as he pulled away, the contractor said, I realized that that heavy metal music was blaring Christian lyrics. That, that this guy who had a job that many people would not you know, enjoy doing that much, or they wouldn't pursue a career in. This guy had a job that, that many people would think, how can you have joy doing that job? And yet, he, he had joy because he had Jesus. He had joy because he saw it as serving God in such a simple task. He saw it as serving God in such a simple task. Serving is like food for our stomachs and air for our lungs. So many people are grasping for life in other ways because they haven't discovered it's found in following Jesus and willingly becoming a servant like him. And when we aren't serving in the ways that God has for us, when we're only looking kind of to our own interests, we experience the effects of starvation and the suffocation of our souls. At the Last Supper, Jesus was looking at his followers and he was wondering, who will pick up the towel and begin to wash each other's feet? Who is willing to be humble and serve? And the message that Jesus was trying to get across to them hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Jesus is still saying the same thing to you and I today. He's saying, are you willing to pick up the towels that I have laid before you, the holy opportunities that I've given for you to serve people around you, to serve God? And to the outside world, it may seem like, like a life like that is, is voluntarily losing your life. But if you've encountered God in a real way, if you, if, you've, if, you have a, if you have a growing and deepening understanding of the amazing sacrifice that Jesus did in serving you and I by dying on the cross for us, then our natural instinct is to respond in service. It's our natural instinct. And, and when we do that, when we, when we dedicate our lives to servanthood, we actually find that we, we find a new life. And that really, ultimately, it's the only life worth living. Amen? Amen. Wait, let's just take a few seconds here, and let's just close our eyes and wait on the Lord for a second.